Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. My name is George Hinman. I want to say hello to you wherever you are, whether you're in your garage, in the sheets, in your car, in a gym, basement, uh, running, riding. Uh, you may be in Seattle. You may be anywhere around the world and you're taking some time to join us, to celebrate who Jesus is, to learn more about him and to grow in our faith. So thank you so much for being with us uh, today. Hey, we've been looking at Luke 4, second half of the chapter, kind of a deep dive because here Jesus introduces himself to the world at the beginning of his public ministry as a healer, as a great physician. And as Taylor said earlier, we need healing, all of us uh, individually and all of us taken together. Let me begin uh, today, though, with a question. Why did an angry mob rise up against Jesus almost as soon as he began? his public ministry? The answer is because he claimed to bring racial healing, racial healing. And as Jesus asks elsewhere, the question when he comes to us as a healer is always, do you want to be made well? It's a little bit hard to see where this antagonism comes from uh, in the chapter uh, that we get Luke 4. I missed it for years. But once you see it, you'll go, oh my goodness, there it is. Remember, Jesus has come to his own hometown as an adult now. This is the beginning of his ministry. But he's familiar in this place, uh, like he does every Sunday and has for his whole life. He comes to the synagogue. Uh, he's a reader that day. They hand him a scroll. It's the Isaiah scroll. He turns to Isaiah 61. He reads this text. And then he says, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, meaning in him. And they uh, react to that. And, um, and you ask the question, well, why? Well, we gave one answer last week. And that was um, he refers to himself as a physician and nobody likes to be a patient. Or not many of us like to be a patient. And then, but there's something more. And you can't really tell what that more is until he elaborates with two stories, two Old Testament stories. Uh, one about Elijah and one about Elisha. Uh, these stories both happen near the same time, low point in Israel's history. And God sends Elijah to a widow to provide healing and food for both of them. And then God sends Elisha to uh, a general named Naaman and heals him of leprosy in a river. And he tells those two stories, Jesus, and then they react very strongly. We read in chapter 4, uh, verse 28, they were filled with rage. When they heard this, all the synagogue were filled with rage. And you go, why? Why when God does good things for people? The answer is, the widow and the general, they were not Jews. Uh, the widow was a Syrian. She was a Phoenician. She was a Phoenician, excuse me. Um, and the general was an Aramaean, not Jews. You go, oh my gosh. Jesus is doing healing for the wrong people, right? Um, Jesus actually really makes it clear because he says there were many widows, but God sent a prophet to none of them. And there were many lepers and God sent a prophet to none of them. 
This is hard stuff. All of a sudden, the people in the synagogue, his hometown, are going, just when we were oozing with pride that the Messiah was one of us, you give us this message? You tell us that God has come not just for us, but for them? And Luke tells us they were filled with rage. And they pushed him out of the synagogue. And they pushed him out of the town. And they pushed him up against a cliff. But he slipped through. It's like, it's like the one miracle he did in Nazareth. They didn't even notice him when he walked out of their raging mob. But the lesson here is that Jesus, that the grace of Jesus heals our ethnic wounds. And that's good news for us. But here's the problem. In Nazareth, they didn't even know that they had an ethnic wound. They don't know it. Because what's happened is that without realizing it, they have racialized their faith. What do I mean by that, racialized their faith? Well, they have taken notions about God and notions about their ethnicity and mixed them together. They've racialized their faith without even knowing it. Now, I'm not making this up. This is the story. This is an emphasis for Luke. He's emphasizing. Let me just give you a sense of this. Luke is telling us this. He's saying, for example, that God has a mission. If you read just a couple chapters earlier, the beginning of the story, there's a scene in which Jesus as a baby is brought into the temple and put into the arms of an old, old, very righteous man named Simeon. And Simeon looks into the eyes of this newborn child and he says, this is what I have been yearning for all of my life. And he uses two key words. One word is uh, salvation, um, soter. And that, that, that's the language of healing. It's oftentimes used by physicians in that time just to talk about healing. He's a, he's a healer. And the other word he uses is Gentile. It's kind of a technical term at the time, but it translates uh, just a basic word for ethnicity. Gentile or, or nations both translate in the Greek the same word, eth. Noi, ethnoi, from which we get our word ethnic. This is, Simeon is telling us, Luke is telling us, this is the healer of the ethnoi, the ethnicities. So this is the mission that God has. Part of his mission is to heal our ethnic wounds. But then, uh, flash forward to John the Baptist, another scene that comes shortly thereafter. And Luke is saying, not only does God have a mission, but his people have a tendency to distort the mission. In chapter three, we hear the words of John the Baptist saying, do not say, he's talking to Jews, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. So he's showing us that we can take notions of God, that he's a mission to heal ethnicities, and notions of ourselves um, that we're somehow special because we're descendants of Abraham and mix the two together. This is racialized faith. And you might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Weren't the Jews, wasn't Israel uh, meant to be a special ethnicity? And the answer is yes, they were a special people. They were special, but not superior. And it's really important to get that distinction. They were special simply because they were first. And this is the Abraham that John the Baptist is talking about. God calls Israel into existence 
to be the, as the children of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God says, Abraham, or Abram, I bless you and your family to be a blessing to all of the nations. That you're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to heal the ethnoi. That was the mission of Abraham. It's so easy, you see, to move from being special to being superior. And there's no blame. Jesus doesn't lay any blame here. This is the way these folks have been raised. Uh, they've been raised with a racialized faith. They have an ethnic wound in them, though, that they don't even know. They can't even see it. Jesus is coming to heal that ethnic wound because he heals wounds, uh, but also, you know, wounded people wound people. And when we have an ethnic wound, it not only hurts us, but it also tends to hurt others. And Jesus wants to heal. The grace of Jesus heals our ethnic wounds. Of all that we saw two Wednesdays ago in the Capitol, the most distressing thing was to see images of the American flag, the Confederate flag, and flags that bore the name Jesus. That was heartbreaking. In 1861, three weeks, several weeks before the Civil War began, a man named Alexander Stevens gave a, a speech, an infamous speech, called the Cornerstone Speech. Alexander St Stevens was the vice president of this new nation called the Confederacy. And in this speech, he argues that America was founded on the idea that all races are equal. But he goes on to say that that was a mistake, that that's not the truth. And he says in his speech, quote, our new government, meaning the Confederacy, is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. That's our wound. It's hard even to read. That's the wound in American slavery, the wound in the Trail of Tears, the wound in the Chinese Exclusion Act, the wound in the Oliveira Street raid, the wound in the internment of Japanese, this notion of ethnic superiority. And Jesus absolutely rejects it. We absolutely reject it. Most Americans reject it. But I want to say, what happens to our witness as followers of Jesus when the world looks and they see symbols of white supremacy combined with symbols of Jesus in the White House. How can we believe in this Jesus? We can't believe in this Jesus. We mustn't believe in this Jesus. This Jesus isn't the real Jesus. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, I would invite you, urge you to listen to Talk Back Tuesday. This past week, we had with us Dr. Walter Kim, who's the president of the National Association of Evangelical really thoughtful uh, man and leader. And uh, he, he said, as we look at what's happening in our country, we have to do some deep soul searching, particularly in the church. Because we have ethnic wounds 
in the church of Jesus Christ in America. And I, 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 to me it seems like the, a racialized faith might be the deadliest of all wounds. And I say that for this reason. You don't even know that you have it when you do. But when you do, because you've made a Jesus in your own image, when the real Jesus comes, you might not even recognize him. You, you, you might feel threatened by him. You might feel so uncomfortable in his presence that you might not want him around. You might find yourself pushing him towards a cliff, even the great physician himself. This is why Jesus takes his friends in Nazareth back to the scripture. And we talked about this last week. But, but, but you see, he, he wants them to know what story they're in. He talks about Elijah and, and Elisha, and he's reading from Isaiah. Because this story kind of reculturates, reorients us, recenters us. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. By the way, the apostle there is talking about racial healing. He's just spent three chapters talking about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, Jews and all the other ethnicities. And then he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This gift of ethnic healing is so important and so central to the gospel. The grace of Jesus heals our ethnic wounds. So here's the question. How? How do I participate? How do you participate in racial healing? Well, the good news is that Jesus teaches us. Not here in Luke 4, but in Luke 10. As the story continues, Luke keeps writing his great account of this great physician. He comes to a story he tells, and you know this story, it's a parable. It's called the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But the thing about the parable of the Good Samaritan is oftentimes we think of it as a, about, you know, just encouraging us to pull someone out of a ditch when they've fallen in, which is a good thing. But if you really read it carefully, you read it, that it's about more than that, that it's about racial healing, and it's about what we can do to participate in Jesus's uh, gracious racial healing. So I would like to very quickly share with you, just to lay them out there, and you can chew on them and interact. We can talk about them in our small groups and formational communities. Three therapies for racial wounds, okay? You might write these down if you're taking notes, but if you're on a bicycle or driving, don't listen to this later. Rewind, you can catch it later. Number one, Jesus decenters the majority. Jesus decenters the majority. The, the surprise in the parable is ethnicity. That's, it's a big surprise. There are really three characters in the, in the story that Jesus tells him, just making this up to, to talk to a person that's standing in front of him. And the person standing in front of him is Jewish, right? He's, he's a Jew. Jesus is a Jew, right? So they're having this conversation. And he says, he tells a conversation about a man who's on a road and he walks from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And uh, he doesn't tell us about the ethnicity of the man. So the, the guy who's listening, who we are told is an expert in the law, he's a lawyer uh, in the Old Testament, and he's, 
he's going to assume that the victim, the, the man who's walking down the road, is a Jew. He's going to assume that. And then Jesus says, and then bandits jump him and beat him, rob him. And the, 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 the Jewish lawyers is going to assume that those are probably Samaritans, right? Because the reason why Jews used that road was because they didn't want to walk through Samaria. You've got to understand that. They used that road to walk around the place where their ethnic enemies lived. Jews didn't despise Samaritans. They saw them as ethnic crossbreeds. They were people that had their own Bible. They had their own place of worship. They sided with the enemies of the Jews when they came to attack Jerusalem. So these despised Samaritans. So of course the man listening is thinking, yeah, that's a Jew and he's walking around Samaria so he doesn't have to deal with his ethnic other. Uh, so the victim is a, a Jew in his mind and the, the villains are, are Samaritans in his mind and now we get the hero, right? There's um, two Jewish people who walk by, the priest and the Levite, and they don't do anything to help the guy who's lying in a ditch. But the third guy comes and he heals him. And who's that guy going to be? The hero. Jesus says it was a Samaritan. That's the sound of racism blowing up in the head of the lawyer, right? No, this is not possible. No. Yeah. So what, so what Jesus is doing with the story is he's decentering the majority. The Jews were the majority. He's decentering something he, he's doing in this man's head. See, Jesus says to the man who's racialized his faith, the world does not revolve around you and your ethnicity. He's saying it revolves around me. The world does not revolve around your people. At the center are my people, all ethnicities. This is, this is the paradigm shift. It centers on Jesus, not on race, but on Jesus. So it starts with our thinking, this, this decentering. Dr. Willie James Jennings is a, a professor at Yale University and he, he does a little bit of a theology of uh, history. And he says, you know, when European Christianity moved into uh, other cultures, it tended to invert hospitality. And what he means by that is when European Christianity came to other places, like, for example, Africa, it inverted its hospitality. It entered into those places, those lands, not as guest, but as host. And this is very well-meaning. We can attribute the best of intentions, but it was damaging at the same time. It created wounds. And yet Jesus decenters the majority as a way of healing those wounds. This is what he's doing for the man who's hearing the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is what he's doing at UPC, by the way. Let me just give you an illustration of this. I hope you saw the connector this week. If you didn't, make sure you're on the connector. It's our e-news. Uh, but we have a new director of side-by-side -side ministry. And we love JJ. He's irreplaceable. But we're really excited about a Reverend T.G. Murphy Santiago, who uh, 
is going to lead that ministry and we have great uh, hopes for its future under her leadership. So she's joining us. She's this mature seasoned leader uh, in, from Seattle. What a privilege it is to have her on board. So we're writing this email to introduce her to other folks. And the question is, how do we refer to her? Um, she says, call me TG, very friendly. But uh, some of us on the team are thinking, you know what? We're trying to create space inside UPC for the black church experience. Because we, we have many African-American brothers and sisters who are part of our, our family at UPC. And we know that in the black church experience, those honorific titles are really, really important. So um, some of us said, hey, no, we think we should call her Rev TG. And um, so we said, well, maybe we should actually talk to Rev TG about this. So there's this round of shuttle diplomacy. Lots of conversations happen. She said in the end, no, I want to be called TG. And so what do you do with that? Well, you call her TG. Why? Because that's what she wants to be called. And so we ended up right back where we started. But at the, in the end, we were different. We weren't the same because we've been decentered by Jesus. You see, in the end, she felt loved. She told us, I felt really loved and cared for by that conversation. And we were different because we were sensitive to the cultural dynamics that Jesus is bringing into our community. Jesus decenters the majority, and as we do that, we're participating in his healing ministry. It's a, it's a therapy for racial wounds. Let me give you a second one. Jesus reshapes institutions. Let's go back to the parable. The parable culminates, climaxes, at the inn. The focus of the, of the parable ends up at the inn. Now this is something that many of us haven't noticed. Oftentimes in a Hebrew narrative, the dialogue lands the point. And the, the only dialogue in that story that Jesus tells is a conversation that happens at the inn between the Samaritan and the innkeeper. And it's important to notice that. The Samaritan pulls somebody else into this healing process, doesn't he? He pulls the innkeeper into the process. This is about social change. It takes more than an individual. It takes a team. It takes a community. It takes a society to bring healing to this one. And notice what he says. Uh, he says, take care of him. And when I come back, he's speaking to the innkeeper, take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. What is he doing? He's saying, you're a part of this. It's kind of an advocacy for the wounded man. Now, put yourself in the shoes of the innkeeper. We don't really know much about him. But since Jesus is making this up, we can engage our imagination and speculate. Who was he? Was he, uh, was he a Jew? Um, thinking, oh my gosh, don't bring a Samaritan in here. Or was he a Samaritan? And maybe, you know, his inn was right along that road. And he's like, this is where I make my money off the Jews. But I, you know... I, was there a sign there that said, no, we don't take your type here. No, we're not, we don't do uh, urgent care here. I don't know. But whatever happens, the Samaritan with a Jew in his arms, this multi-ethnic pair, overcome his resistance and draw him into the healing process. Jesus reshapes institutions. And that end will never be the same. The thing we have to be aware of, and it's oftentimes missed, is that racialized faith tends to hide itself in institutions. Where everyone in the institution says, no, I'm not a racist. I have good heart, good intent, and that's true. But the racism can be hidden in the institution. And the Jew understands this. In fact, Jesus in the synagogue is calling this point 
to their attention. Because remember, he reads Isaiah 61, but at the end of that, he says, I'm here, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's a reference to a, 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 a social practice in ancient Israel called the Jubilee. And the Jubilee, every 50 years, was God told Israel to give up all debts, to let any indentured servant go free, to let all land return. So society was going to be changed. This is a way that God ensured that the institutions of society would preserve the shalom, the peace, the goodness, the justice of God. And Jesus is saying in the synagogue, I'm coming to do that. I'm coming to do that. Notice that those of us who are evangelicals, not just to save souls, but to bring peace and wholeness to all of society. Both things are part of the mission of God. So we have to pay attention to institutions. God, this is a God who wants justice, social reform, creation care. We get to engage in that. And by the way, we're doing that at UPC. It just occurred to me, you know, we call our student ministry, our college ministry, the inn. And if you show up at the inn these days, show up, meaning participate in the live stream, you will see a changing culture. What used to be a predominantly white, Europe, northern European kind of cultural experience is much richer, much more beautiful and diverse than that. Under the leadership of Mike McAvoy and Chris Thurton, a new thing. This is an inn like the inn that the Samaritan uh, reshapes in that parable of Jesus. So what does it mean for you to participate in that? I think of the institutions that you're involved in, at the library where you volunteer, the office where you work, the school where you teach or study. What does it mean for you to bring your faith into that institution, to be a, a Christian psychologist, to be a Christian artist, to be a Christian driver, to be a Christian nurse or radiologist, to be able to say to your institution, take care of him. Take care of her in this way. Jesus dissenters the majority. Jesus reshapes institutions. There's a third therapy for racial wounds that Jesus teaches us in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it's about love. Jesus infuses the conversation with love. After all, this is the point of the whole parable. It starts out by uh, these words, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, 27, love. Not sentimentality, but the kind of love Jesus talks about, uh, the kind of self-sacrificing, Jesus-centered, other-serving love. Jesus infuses the conversation with that, with love. Now, this is not about self-righteousness. I just want to remind you what we talked about last week, the tendency we all have to, to want to make ourselves right, which is what self-righteousness uh, means. To, to try, and, and that's what this man, the lawyer, is trying to do. Luke makes that explicit in Luke 10, 29. He says this man is wanting to justify himself. He's wanting to make himself right with his own uh, deeds to prove he's, he's good, he's right. And oftentimes that's exactly the attitude that you and I tend to bring to the conversation around our racial wounds, a desire to justify ourselves, a desire to be right. But let's be careful. Let's be different. 
Let's let the love of Jesus infuse the conversation. The point isn't to win the point. The point is to win the person, right? You cannot change a relationship that you're not in. Let me say that again because so often the way that we engage this issue in social media and elsewhere is just pushing people away. You cannot change a relationship that you're not in. And love is about building the relationship. That's why Paul says in the heart of a very ethnically diverse community in Ephesians 4, 15, he says, speak the truth in love. You grow up into maturity one and only one way. Together, as you speak the truth in love, nothing could be more imperative for us in the church of Jesus Christ right at this moment. And so if you're wondering, how do I do that? You say, George, well, how do I do that? Well, let me say this. If you're in the majority, here's how you do that. You build a relationship. You work on relationship. If you're in the majority, if you're white like me. First of all, you've got to build a relationship with people that don't look like me or you, with others. Do you know that in a 2013 survey, um, white Americans, 91% of us, our social networks are, are white. 91% of us. And fully three quarters of us have actually no people of color in our social networks. That's going to be a problem. Build relationships with, with minorities, but also I want to challenge you to build relationships with others in the majority culture who don't share your views. And there are a lot. But you, you don't just signal your virtue. Don't just push them away by telling them how ignorant they are because they're not. But build a relationship with them and build, and build empathy, love. Speak the truth in love. Build relationships. But those of us who are in the minority... Uh, at UPC. How can we participate in this? Well, what you can do is you can create space for change. And I know African Americans have been doing this in our country for generations, and I know it's exhausting, and I know sometimes it's hurtful, but I want to encourage you to be patient and persevere, and in those relationships, create space for the other person to change. We're growing. We're learning. It's a dynamic process. If we don't do that as ethnic minorities, if we're indifferent towards others or, or worse, then Dr. King taught us very well, the risk is that we become exactly what we fear. And so love, that's what the Samaritan does, love. The grace of Jesus heals our ethnic wounds. I love this about Jesus. I love this about Jesus. He's got the answer. Jesus can do what we cannot do if we trust in him. Jesus decenters the majority. He reshapes institutions. He infuses the conversation with love. He brings holistic healing and he invites us to participate in that. And I want to tell you, whether this is your first Sunday with us or you've been with us for 40 years, you are a part of this at UPC. Jesus is deracializing de our faith. He's helping us to see him, not in our image, but to see him as the perfect image of God. He's encouraging us to see him towering over our fears and prejudices, walking among us to reconcile and heal the nations, the ethnoi. I want you to pray for that this week. Pray for us this week as we celebrate the anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Let's pray with Dr. King and pray with boldness. Let me just remind you of some of his words. 
He says darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He said towards those who've been misled, we are slow. We, we are to show ourselves parentally affectionate so that they may perceive that we seek not their destruction, but their salvation. He said, be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. You know that mob was unable to kill Jesus that day. But he did come to die. He lays down his own life. And at the end of the story, we find our Savior Jesus Christ, the great physician, healing on the cross. God dying. The one who made all people from a single race shed his blood to redeem for God the human race. We have no need to justify ourselves just to say yes to Jesus because on the cross, he justifies us. There on the cross, he hangs. And do you remember, they put a sign over his head, the Roman soldiers did. It says, King of the Jews. It was there with, full of racialized malice, but also irony. King of the Jews, he was. Jew, he's a Jew who sheds his blood in solidarity with every victim of racism. But also as the son of God, he sheds his blood for forgiveness, both for the wounded and for the wounder. Someday, the whole world will kneel before no one but him and joyfully proclaim Jesus, king of all the nations, all the ethnicities. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have been gathered by you this day in worship. It's not an accident that we're here together, that we're being mindful of you and the good news of the gospel. It's not, a, it's not an accident that your Holy Spirit in this moment of history has surfaced for us. Our racial wounds, we bring them to the altar today. We bring them to the cross today so that you can do in us and for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you for your willingness and eagerness. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.